Are you sure you want to start streaming a live event? I'm pretty sure I'm afraid to be streaming a live event. Yo, 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 brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, your eyes do not deceive you. This handsome beast right here is... Ha ha! And the other handsome beast is Eric fucking Weinstein. And, uh, oh, I need to turn that off. And yeah, Eric fucking Weinstein is in the building. Where's my applause? Yeah. Oh, hang on. And we have to... There we go. And uh, shouts out to everyone who's here and not watching uh, Michaela Peterson on Joe Rogan. You made the right choice. This is the right place to be. You can watch that back later. You can't watch this back later. We might delete it. How about that? It's brutal. Yo, shouts out to everyone locked in. Kayomi Aragomi, Jay Wiley, Hurts, Why I Drink. No, I wasn't trolling. We weren't trolling. This was not a troll. We do indeed have the mighty Eric fucking Weinstein right here. He sat there. That's not a special effect. I mean, it's very special. How you doing? It's very affecting. I'm great. How the fuck are you? Uh, pretty good. Yeah? Not a bad Thursday. It was an amazing Thursday. So, how the fuck did it so happen that you are here in Don Studios on this beautiful, beautiful Thursday to be alive here at the peak of recorded human civilization? Well, we've been kind of interested in what you've been up to. And Who's we? Well, the ominous we. <laughs> I, think, I think that what's amazing to me in so many ways is mm. that I don't think we're well matched musically with what's going on uh, intellectually, politically. And then in the 60s, sort of music was of a piece and art was of a piece with yes. what was happening. But yes. if you look... Somehow, the vampire is not reflecting in the mirror of the arts. Yes. And so what the real things that are happening are being suppressed, I feel, somehow artistically. Yes. And as a result, our art is not vital the way you would expect it to be in the middle of a low-grade revolution as we were in 67 through 70, let's say. This is a very good point. This is because people are scared. Right, people but people were scared then. They were scared of the government. They were scared of the Vietnam War. Yeah, but now they're, they're scared more scared of, of something else. Now they're more scared of losing their cushy uh, platforms and lifestyles. Yeah, I think it's more than that. I think that they're scared of having their families ripped apart. Well, there is, that, there is also... No, but here's the thing. The younger ones, so you think the younger ones who are actually out there making the art, right. they have less concerns with, to do with families and things of that nature, right? Uh, the family, the family concern comes later in life once you build your own family. When you're young and rebellious, is a bit like you know, fuck, fuck, fuck my mom and dad. I've just like run away to Hollywood or whatever. Right. But they're still scared of saying stuff outside of the accepted norm because they don't want to lose their opportunities for gigs or record deals, or uh, they don't want to get kicked off Twitter, things of that nature. Well, this is what I've been I've been talking to some. I mean, I, I grew up in Los Angeles and left about 36 years ago. Uh, and I had very little to do with the entertainment industry at that point. I mean, right. that my family wasn't really part of that. And we always treated uh, the outside world's obsession with Los Angeles uh, as a Hollywood thing or, or as a some sort of a Sunset Strip music thing as being what people who really knew L.A. Uh, would recognize as kind of a caricature. Yeah, um, But... Since I've been here, I've been talking to a lot of people in entertainment, and quite clearly, people are terrified to be their authentic selves. And yeah. so, when your authentic self is uh, a frightening thing to be, your art is going to be highly inauthentic, because you're not yeah. actually able to listen to your own inner voice. Yeah, 
exactly that's that's the major issue that we have right now and uh the the sort of like 2 a.m conversations it's ridiculous everyone starts coming out the woodwork and everyone speaks in hushed tones and everyone comes and talks to me because they're like oh well he kind of seems to be doing what he wants so i can talk to him and so i get so many djs and artists and stuff like oh my god like you know i love what you're doing you're I'd so really brave to, i wish i could yeah. say what you said yes and they can't though because they're like oh no i'd, I'd lose my agent or i'd this, that, it would the be other. game over with for me by this afternoon. I mean, that's like the kind of a thing that I'm hearing from people in music and in uh, in TV and in film. Yeah, this is. Uh, um, but it's the thing. It's like everyone's fucking saying that. So it's like it's kind of like the thing everyone's always moaning about YouTube, and it's always like the big YouTube people, the PewDiePie's and right. the and the H3H3s and stuff. It's like, well, there's enough of you and you're massive. Could you not all get together and like form your own thing? Yeah, I, I think okay. that actually weirdly doesn't work and that's what's fascinating about it. Yeah, so what, what do you think? Why is that? Well, there's this thing I call the Chihuahua effect. And you always have these great names for things. Well, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get sampled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the Chihuahua effect is uh -huh. where a very small uh, group, let's say, produces most of the noise yes and yes when i ran a poll for example as to whether um if biology and gender studies uh, conflicted as disciplines on a matter of sex or gender which would you be more inclined to believe it was about 50 50 in terms of the vociferous debate uh on twitter but if you looked at the poll results it was Astounding! It was ninety-five percent in favor of trusting bio biology as a science. You always see this with Twitter on polls, right? It's always the way. It's like people don't want to speak necessarily, right. or the people who can't be asked to speak. Well, but this is this is the thing. But we they'll are, hit a poll thing. But we're looking at um, a, a silence epidemic, if you want to yeah. think about it in this term. And, and I think everybody knows why. It's that if you look at who has gone up against this tiny minority that is sitting in particular chairs, whether that's at NPR or the Washington mm. Post or um, you know the New York Times, there are people whose opinions are important not because of who they are, but because of the chair in which they sit. Yeah. And so we're really not having a problem with a huge group of people in my opinion what we're really having a problem with is that there are a tiny number of new voices sitting in very important chairs and those new voices are thinking in ways that we can't even understand i mean it's really almost impossible to logically parse what's being said someone was i can't remember who recently was talking about this in uh terms of sort of 70s and 80s letter writing campaigns mm. So you, you used to be like, you know, the Mary Whitehouses or whatever of the world. Someone would see something on television, they wouldn't like it. And they would uh, try and start a letter writing campaign to like get the thing kicked off TV because they disagreed with it. Often in those times, it would be very religious people who saw something they, they found morally upsetting. And uh, I saw an interview with one, someone who used to work in one of the mail rooms. And you'd basically, you'd get the same letter in like sort of, it was basically the same person writing the letter over and over and trying to change their handwriting and stuff like that. You'd have basically a small amount of people trying to appear like a, like they were very noisy. Well, I, I used to do this. Oh, you used to. So, for example, <laughs> there's what we call the, uh, or what I called rather, the Alice's Restaurant principle. At the end of Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant, he makes a very uh, politically incorrect statement. He says, if, if one of you comes into the draft board uh, they'll think you're crazy and they won't take you. If two of you come in, they'll think you're homosexuals and then you won't be allowed into the army. But if there are three of you, they'll think it's a movement. Yeah, exactly. And so when you get to the <laughs> third person 
who's willing to say the yeah. same thing, uh, it's perceived that there's something unopposable. And yeah, exactly. This fits in perfectly with the whole um, persuasion principles, all those persuasion principles. Have you ever tried that thing where you stand in the middle of the street and you look up in the sky and uh, other people will sort of stop and start looking up as well? If you just do it, and it's, it's a very fun thing to try, if you just do it on your own, a few people might, might join you. If you do it with like one friend, a few other people right. might. If there's more than three of you, yeah. and you stand there staring up in the sky, you the whole fucking street will shut down. People will stop their cars and stuff. And they'll look, and they can't see anything, but they'll keep looking, because there's like three of you. Right. It's basically three is the tipping point right. for, uh, for that. Yeah, you can cause fucking accidents doing that, all sorts of shit. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's, no, try let's, do it. let's try to do it. <laughs> well, let's try to cause the right kind of accidents. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, this this is some real shit. Um, how long do you think this can last for, with this uh, current level of ridiculousness? Like, have uh, we have we reached a tipping point? Do you think people you keep are less thinking scared that it, now? Well, I don't see. We have a different problem now that, than we had before, which is that we don't know where we could reboot society from. So, yeah, I I think that what people don't really appreciate is that it's the institutions that have been lost. And the reason that you're able to be your authentic self is that you've built a brand that isn't an institution. I mean, in, in other words, Akira the Dawn. Akira. Uh, what do we know about Akira the Dawn? That it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that it's a one-person shop, like all of these things are one-person right. shops. You can't you sack know, yourself. Well, even if there's a couple of assistants or you're a producer, who knows what... The key thing is that anything that starts to become an organization gets subjected to a system of selection. It gets a pressures. HR department. Well, I didn't say that, but I said that... But it does. But in terms of uh, the legal structure that yeah. surrounds that object, it's the system of selective pressures that is making everything crazy. And it's not that it has... that these things started with terrible objectives, but nobody really thought through the unintended consequences of trying to encode so much good into the system yes. that it, in fact, had yes. consequences that were never anticipated by anyone. This is where it's all like a hilarious farce. Well, it is. So much of it is so very, very funny. If you're not the person being, uh, you know, deplatformed or having your family destroyed or having your life pulled apart. Or, or in a world... Sorry, you were headed somewhere. Well, no, I just remembered I should, that uh, we sh some people have been asking questions, and one of the first ones that came through which ties into this, uh, was to do with... I don't know, this was someone I heard talking about you the other day. Uh, ah, yes, so someone, node in a network, there's a good username, said, what do you make, Dr. Weinstein, of Owen Benjamin's recent call-out of Joe Rogan and company? Thanks for all you do. Um, so do you, first do you know anything about this? I don't know in particular. I know Owen well, a bit. Basically, you know Owen Benjamin. Um, he went on a big rampage recently. Um, He's very upset that Rogan wouldn't stand behind Alex Jones. Right. Um, he was annoyed with you, I think. Well, he was briefly annoyed with me, but I think he stopped being annoyed with me. Yeah, he doesn't usually stay that annoyed with people for very well, long. Well, you know, I think Owen is... Um, Owen's extremely gifted, in my opinion, when he's in a particular groove. Right. But then my take on it, and I again, I have a private relationship and a public relationship, and... I was not very happy when he took parts of our private relationship and made them public uh, because I think that that's, that's like shitty behavior and Owen knows it from me, so I'm not saying anything out of school. And I didn't do that back to him. Um, the public stuff, I think Owen is struggling with this concept of authenticity. And I think he comes from a place with a big heart 
Yeah. Um, I don't sense that he is a bigoted person no. interpersonally. Uh, However, wait, wait, wait. But there is there is a rub, which is that uh, he's not yeah. super cautious, in my opinion, with um, how he deals with certain issues. So, for example, when he made a, a video about the problems in uh, in modern day Islam and its confrontation with modernity. Mm. Um, a lot of the things he said were brave and reasonable, and some of the things he said were actually offensive and backward. And it's just very important for all of us to kind of help each other out and say, I don't think you're backward. I don't think you're offensive, but I think that, you know, you went for the comedic version of something, for example. Well, he is a comedian. Yes, but, you know, comedy is a craft and it's an art form, and mm. getting it to work so that you're offending surgically exactly who needs to be offended and with minimal collateral damage. A great comedian is like a sniper and they take out the hostage, uh, hostage taker and they leave the hostage intact. And I I worry that sometimes Owen uh, is not careful enough as to how he aims because when he's on, he's done stuff on men and women. Like one one of the most feminist videos you'll ever see in your life has the crazy title, Why Women Are Crazy. You think this is going to be like horrendous. And he actually surgically points out um, the evolutionary behavior of female neuroticism in service to the human race. And you're just like thinking, wow, did you actually just pull that off? That, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, and then when, you, when you use the word Muslims as opposed to uh, Islamists or you know, Muslim extremists, that's not cautious. You're not taking the clean shot. So whatever is going on with Owen and, uh, and Rogan and all these, you know, th- maybe this is just inside comedy. Yeah. Uh, and I don't really understand it, but I would say. Well, I think the basically the main question. I think the question was basically, and his his kind of broader point on it is to do what we were talking with, which right. is uh, people being scared to say what they really think or whatever, or people um, not standing up for what they believe in private because they're afraid of repercussions in public. I think. Yeah, but I mean, it's very reasonable. Like, if I take <laughs> Owen, if I take Owen's beef with me that he aired uh-huh. to his people. You know, he said, well, Eric said that, you know, it was bad for his brand. You yeah. know, Ooh, my God, he's thinking about his brand. Yeah, that's so well, evil. That's also effing ridiculous because it's a shorthand for saying uh, it's important that when people put their trust in you, that that brand, if you will, carries over. You're saying, look, I've inspected this. I know, what, I know what's in it. And you're, you're getting a safe enough product. Mm-hmm. And that could mean that I'm a fugu chef. I'm serving puffer fish, this and, there's, and there's some poison organs in it. And you better believe that if you're trusting a fugu chef, that that guy knows what he's doing. And I'm not going to have anybody die in my restaurant. Period. The end. Boom. Gang. Yo. Yeah. Uh, Weinstein. Not having anyone die in his fucking restaurant. And that's some real shit. And, you know, uh, this is part of the uh, mind disease that I was subjected to uh, by... Yeah. Billy Bragg as a small child that had this whole thing attached to it that kind of like uh, anything to do with money was evil and sort of getting above your station was evil, this British disease of tall poppy syndrome and stuff. And it kind of feels a bit like that. Like you should yeah. be concerned about like the uh, integrity of your so-called brand or whatever. Like you should yeah, I'm have. straight. Yeah. It's not something that I'm hiding. 
No. I'm, I'm effing proud some, of it because This is some shit you've built. This is some shit, the blood, sweat, and tears. And, that's and, right. And, all and, of and, your and he's life built his stuff, it. and I, I yeah. don't want to screw up his stuff. Yeah. Next question. Yeah, anyway, well, let's have a look what's going on over in the chat. Um, what's cracking to the 187 people watching now? You bad motherfuckers. You could be anywhere. You could be doing anything with your lives, but you're right here, and I appreciate you, and I'm proud of you. And, uh, yeah. Uh, I won't take a question from here, actually. I will go back, rewind it back back a bit to what you were saying, which was um, that we have been very interested in you. We. Who's the we? Is this the royal we? Or is this the evil cabal that people keep uh, talking about? On the Twitter? conspiracy. The yes. conspiracy is yes. we. Yes. The yes. grand. The grand. Right. We're playing 12-dimensional chess. Yes. Good. Okay. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I think that uh, I do try to do a little bit of deliberate strategy. I don't think I'm trying to be closeted about that. I'm very concerned. Yes, I'm very concerned that um, that we, we as a society be able to reboot and that we have some okay. places where people are able to hold the old uh, thought processes and apply them to new problems rather than signing up for uh, wild epistemic inconsistency. And just let's embrace contradictions and uh, selectively decide whose re reputation needs to be destroyed uh, on the fly. I <laughs> think that week. that's probably not the best way to uh, conduct a, a nuclear-armed uh, society uh, with our political and military power in this planet. It's just wildly irresponsible. And I think that the planet needs us to take back the conversation. Yes. You cannot have, and in particular, I'm... I'm very unnerved that we didn't have any decent presidential candidates for the last election. We need to get back to something <laughs> like competence. There probably needs to be some PhDs uh, in Congress or on the Supreme Court or in the White House uh, in technical subjects. And I, I just think that we're, we're veering into a world in which so much of what matters is highly technical and we're having highly... Um, impressionistic conversations mm -hmm. um, which are not really analytically informed. I mean, we need our heads and our hearts hooked yeah. up together. So therefore, yeah, this stuff is important and uh, the cultural aspect of it is therefore important. Well, that's, wh where's my music, man? Yeah. I need, I need tunes. Where's your harmonica? Where's my harmonica? Where's your harmonica? Um, I, actually have, <laughs> I have one. Busts out the harmonica. I, do have a harmonica. I meant to get you to do that at the beginning so we could have like an intro. Okay. Like a theme. Uh, Eric's theme. Ba -doo -ba -doo -ba -doo play, give us some harmonica. What should I do? Just play, just play a little harmonica. I'll check in on the chat and see how these bad motherfuckers are. <laughs> harmonica break. Yeah. yeah this is so what up billy hunter keep going baby keep going that was beautiful that was beautiful no you stopped well fine synapse on what's going on bully hunter x hunter what's going on james embry what's going on marius prince what's going on so lovely to have you all here so lovely to have you all here really really is yes competence 2020 says Lex Bear. I agree that's good whip it out says marius brez well he did and that was beautiful Rebel Wisdom is in the building, says bad motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Shaz has a Rebel Wisdom. Eric Wave, says Jay Wiley. Exactly. Exactly. This is, uh, this competent is people will do competent things, not worrying themselves with the bullshit of government, says Sean Byrne. Yeah. Um, Marius Brett says, woo! Romero Gandalfo says, record all that. 
Huran said, harmonica breaks should be a thing in every podcast. Well, what's going to happen is I'm going to uh, beam in Dr. Weinstein every week just to play the harmonica while I um, read the chat. And that will be a, a magnificent addition. This is the first time I've done a podcast quite like this. Where, really? are, we, where are we headed next? Really? Well, that's a, good, that's a good question. I don't know. Actually, I wanted to talk to you about something before we answer sure. some of these questions. But one of the things I like... Uh, about the things you talk about, one of the things you talk about that I don't think enough people are talking about is uh, empathy. Okay. Empathy. I think we're losing sight of that um, as these... And you've also talked about the tribal aspect. Do you think tribalism is... Uh, well, it's just a part of being human and uh, trying to throw it out is kind of ridiculous, which I agree with. But as, uh, as we go into this new kind of tribalism, losing empathy for the so-called other side or for the, the people... Uh, the other people is a big issue, I feel. It's, it's very interesting. I, I think that there's a very strange way in which um, some of the gender politics have a actually had a negative effect uh, on empathy because we've somehow absorbed the idea that females are highly empathic and males are not highly empathic. And I think that male empathy is extremely important. And yes. um, as somebody who lives a lot in my head, you know, my feeling is is that metaphorically, you have to leave your heart uh, and your head in the on position at most times, and you have to have a clean separation between them, because very often the most compassionate thing to do doesn't look like the most compassionate thing to do, yeah. right? So, you know, I think somebody recently made an argument about how many animals that have to be killed to please vegans because of the way in which uh, vegetables are grown, and people yes. don't think about these things, or... You know, for example, a uh, well-known question, if you're trying to stop a socially trans uh, sexually transmitted disease, do you, uh, do you spend your money upstream helping prostitutes and commercial sex workers, or do you spend it downstream uh, if it's transmitted from mothers to their children? So everybody instantly thinks, oh, you know, what about the babies? But if you actually wanted to do the most good, you might want to do the good in the brothels. So I think it's very important... <laughs> that we uh, do good in the brothels, ladies and gentlemen. Very it's important. Very important. Very focus, important. Focus, very important. Focus. That um, that we keep empathy in line with uh, our analytics. And I've talked about critical feeling. Right. We, we talk about critical thinking a lot, but critical mm -hmm. feeling is really what we have to be pushing out. And in critical feeling, what you're trying to do is to make sure that your emotions are actually your own, and that you're not simply reflecting what the emotions are of those around you to keep in good standing, and also you have to think about, am I being manipulated? Did somebody use a phrase, like anything that is being pushed through that I usually think is bad, somebody will call reform. Well, we need tax reform, we need regulatory reform, we need judicial reform, 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 reform. Anytime you hear the word reform, you have to ask, who's reform? What's going to change? Is it going to change, a tra is there going to be a, tr a wealth transfer? Is there going to be... Um, is somebody about to get frozen out under the word reform? So I always listen for the word reform, not to say that we don't have to reform things, but many people's brains hear the word reform and they say, okay, there's a power greater than myself that's about to be active. I've got to pretend like all of this thing that's coming is good. So we have to not let other people own our emotions, particularly in yes. print, print media uses this technique of uh, what I've promoted under the banner of Russell conjugation. I am steadfast, you are stubborn, he, she, or it is a pig-headed fool. Mm. The, the emotive shadings on all of those 
uh, are uh, different, but the underlying concept of I am not moving my position is the same. Mm -hmm. So the content layer is common to all, but the emotive instruction to the listener is different. And most people I know um, hold completely contradictory views at the same time, and they wait to see who the most powerful person in the room is and what that person is doing in terms of emotively instructing everyone else in the room. So it's very important that we start feeling critically as well as thinking critically because our feelings, if anything, may be more important than our understanding of the situation. This is a very good point. This is a very good point. Thank you. Uh, I spent a long time on the Bruce Lee don't think, feel sort of wavelength. Mm. Then I realized, well, you do have to think as well. But then the feeling thing is actually what you're doing most of the time and most of your so-called sort of actions are kind of unconscious sort of reactions to... Uh, subconscious cues and the further you go through life and the more of your life becomes sort of habit uh, the more of that there is and I also think um, to get back to the gendered question we also have to understand um, female empathy a little bit more uh, as well as male empathy so that uh, I'm always reminded that when when we went hiking in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California when, when I went as a child that the one instruction everybody gets is never get between a mother bear and her cubs. And we have to understand the dark side of female empathy, which is that when it becomes very protective of its own children, Mm -hmm. it usually finds an outgroup, and that outgroup had better be very careful. (laughs) And that we we have a a sort of a childlike view of motherhood, which is some... uh, some generally blissful state uh, of, of uh, wishing well to all. Mothers yeah. are highly specialized... Uh, Killing machines. Well, I would say that. Yeah. Uh, in some, some species, they have to be to feed yeah. the young. But they're highly specialized in case-selective species, that is, species that put in a great deal of parental investment to um, making sure that their children, uh, or their offspring are promoted at all costs. This is what Jane Goodall found when she studied chimpanzees, that the, the two major crazy killers in the, in the tribe, I think were, were named Palm and Passion. Uh-huh. And they were a mother daughter duo. <laughs> and, you know, I think we just need a realistic vision of both genders that we, yeah, our notion yeah. of femininity is off our notion of masculinity is off and the and the great partnership forget forget the uh the war of the sexes the great partnership of the sexes can't be restored with each gender character caricaturing the other exactly i fully agree and uh, i think that's what we're involved in at the moment i think this new wholesome age that we're going to move into is going to allow us to uh get back into that yeah, with that, and I think that's happening. That's starting to happen quite quickly, uh, as it kind of peaks on the negative side of it. Things always sort of like the resistance always comes from the underground. So it's got so ridiculous on the sort of mainstream representation of the male and the female that the the natural sort of punk rock reaction <laughs> is to do the exact opposite, and the exact opposite is what we need. So the IDW were the Ramones. Yes, that's right. one way of looking at it. It's Had, definitely hadn't one thought way of about that at way. That's definitely what, well. It is. Uh, but as you, I mean, you've spoke about this before anyway. The IDW is kind of already um, in some ways becoming mainstream because uh, that sort of silent majority who aren't running around screaming about things and aren't in the legacy media are already watching this stuff in their sort of millions. And it's particularly the younger people. Yes. And it is the, 
and the desperation. I mean, one of the things that's been amazing for me that I didn't really know when I started this was what happens when you talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are coming to these shows who are writing to you and saying, you've changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a much better place because of you. I can't thank you enough. And you're thinking, I'm not even really sure what I did. And what comes back over and over again is I had the feeling that something was wrong and I couldn't figure out how to voice it. I have people around me who keep shouting me down, telling me that I'm getting everything wrong. And when I heard what you had to say, it it was like I thought all those things, I just didn't know how to say it or how to say it in public. Yeah. And this is the thing that's, uh, you know, I think Jordan Peterson um, has really discovered this, the part of this that deals mostly with young men. We've completely abandoned uh, the idea that one of, one of two sexes uh, is here for a reason. <laughs> and, and by the way, that reason, I mean, if you go to the Vietnam uh, Memorial or you go to the World War II memorials and you see all these male names, whether or not you think that one war is just or, or, or not, violent men are something every society needs. And you need to channel that violence and you need to direct that violence. You need to make it abhorrent that that violence be turned on women. You need to be make it uh, unthinkable that uh, we go off half-cocked on violent rampages, but you need to fundamentally embrace the fact that um, men need to be conscripted for armies and men need to protect families. And trying to make everyone permanently docile uh, is not a great move. What you have to do is to understand the tools that you have. I mean, it's it's like saying spoons are great because they have no sharp edges, but forks and knives... Those are just bad. They're tools, and each one has its place. And and it isn't a world of jelly. It isn't a world. It isn't a world of jelly, man. There's 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 fucking steaks out there and shit, and it's like you've got to be able to deal with that stuff. Yeah, uh, we're not at the. We don't live in this beautiful global utopia where there is no need for any of this stuff. And we've got an issue where we've got like two generations of dudes who don't really know much about what it is to be a dude or. And everything that feels inherently duty to them is apparently wrong or evil in some fashion. Well, and also, you know, men, men take and manage crazy amounts of risk. And, yeah. you know, you can make the point that there, there, there's no glass ceiling for men. And I, I, I think that there's, there's merit in that. There's too much of a glass ceiling for women. But there's also no glass floor for men. Mm-hmm. When we crash, man, we go right to the bottom. Sure. And I don't see anybody saying it's really important... Um, to make sure that the uh, lowest, most dangerous occupations are equally populated by females. Right. This is very annoying. It's very, very annoying. Well, it's just, if you have a distribution, and you say that the two distributions have equal means, that their averages are the same, any attempt to take away some portion of a distribution has to be balanced somewhere else in order for them to remain equal. And so you can't, allow um, the extolling of virtues of one not to be mirrored by the extolling of virtues of the other, or deficits of the one not to be mirrored by deficits of the other. I think that what's really making us completely insane is the unbalancing of the male-female equation. We are down to one protein worth of difference between men and women. If you had a malfunctioning SRY protein, you would be a chick, I would be a chick. 
right? And so the idea of saying, well, these are like essentially two different species, is just biologically moronic. Well, the fact, really annoying thing for me is is that you know the the potential for glorious harmony. Yeah. And uh, in all of us humans using our slight differences to make up everyone else's lacks and therefore boldly go forward into space. Amen. And uh, not be distracted by petty tiny differences when it's the, the tiny differences that are the things that are actually great when used in harmony. It's very, very um, annoying. It's very annoying. Yeah, I mean, very I, annoying I, Eric Weinstein. It is very annoying. Like, we could be doing all this cool shit and we're like uh, we're, we're, distracted well, this is the by thing. nonsense. Right. Like, I'm so enthusiastic about all the things that we're not getting to because every time we start to say or do anything positive, it's immediately burdened by all of this criticism and shame. Elon Musk is like, yo, let's fucking build a rocket. And some asshole is on Twitter going, oh, yo, that, that rocket is just a symbol of the evil patriarchy and you should be ashamed. It's <laughs> like, fuck you. What have you done? What are you contributing to the world, fuck twit? Like, anyway. Yeah. But I do. I I think we are. Uh, we've reached peak ridiculousness. With I hope regards you're right. But what are we going to make now, man? Huh? Rockets. Rockets. You know, great records. So what kind of sweet, great records? Sweet, sweet love, babies. You'll you know never I mean? find. Yeah. Where's that harmonica? <laughs> I think it's time for a harmonica break, Eric Weinstein. Uh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think people like it. Let's play some sweet, sweet harmonica music and uh, let's see what's going on in the chat. Hey, what up, everybody? What up, Benjamin? What up, Hunter Foxen? Akira the Don, you're pioneering the landscape. Thank you very much. That's very sweet. Uh, yeah. Do either Akira or Brett have any unexplained experiences they're willing to share? Mystic, hallucination, or otherwise? Yo, well, uh, maybe we do. Maybe we do. Yeah. Uh, Did you say Brett? What's that? Brett is my brother. Someone did say Brett. It's yeah. very interesting. Why, why would you say that? They, they look nothing alike. Yeah, they don't, they're they very, very different. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it, but people do get easily confused. But that, yes. Just in general. I think that they just feel like it doesn't matter. They'll just say one or the other at it's random. It's really weird. Uh, can we get down to the spiritual and fundamental evolutionary stuff? Shit, man. Uh, what is the origin of life, boys? I'll come with the easy questions. Also, if IDW is the Avengers, Eric is Groot, Akira is Spider-Man. What? Well, thanks. And what? Your Groot, apparently. What's, that's not Avengers, isn't that? That's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. They came together in the most recent oh, they Avengers. Did? They Damn. did, yeah. I had you down as Nick Fury, by the way. Hmm. Someone asked me about this before, and I was like, well, you know, I didn't think about that hard about it. But I had you down as a Nick Fury character, as in someone who was there observing the bigger picture over many decades and realized that there needed to be a group of super-powered individuals with wildly different backgrounds and perspectives on the world, but their combined strength was necessary. Uh, to save the world at that point in time. What do you think about that? Uh, no comment. Yeah, there, yeah. there you go. That's, that's how you know you're right, ladies and gentlemen, when the comment is, uh, is no comment. You have a son. I do. I was watching his YouTube channel. What do you think? I think he's amazing. Yeah. I think he's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. I have a son, too. My son's five. Your son's 13, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's a bad motherfucker. But, you know, I, I'm not positive that uh, you shouldn't give him his own YouTube channel at age five because I don't think my son has oh, changed no, I've that said much. Mine hasn't got a YouTube channel, but... Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I think back to all those crazy conversations I had when they were that age. Uh-huh. They weren't that different. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Hercules really wants a YouTube channel. Yeah? It's what he wants most in the world. He talks about it every day. Why am I getting my YouTube channel, Dad? Why can't I have a YouTube channel? He spends his life acting out, being hosting a YouTube channel. He wakes, he wakes me up in the morning, going, "Oh, Dad, look at this now!" Da, 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 da. And now I'm gonna do, like I'm doing an unboxing of my Lego set, and he makes his own Lego set out of Lego he already right, has. Right. He puts it in a the box, then he unboxes. I see. Know. Yeah. 
But you, you kept your boy well, I, I, away I didn't, from this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I didn't want like him on last at week. all. Right. right. So yeah. I, I didn't I didn't want you know a huge I didn't want Facebook and Google having a huge data set of what their faces looked yeah. like. I always thought that we would get around to regulating this stuff because it's way too much information for private companies to hold. <laughs> um, and I thought that this would probably re, you know necessitate a change in American jurisprudence or uh -huh. maybe even a constitutional alteration. And I'm just aghast that we haven't <laughs> figured out that we've created if not actual spy agencies, um, <laughs> companies that certainly behave in most ways like spy agencies in nobody terms of cares. how much data... It's everything Alex Jones... What do you mean was, nobody cares? Well, nobody cares. It's everything Alex Jones was saying like 15 years ago or something. And it's like, but rather than we're all going to get microchipped, it's like everyone deliberately bought a phone, deliberately signed up to Snapchat, deliberately put their fingerprint in everything, deliberately filled themselves at all time of day, deliberately told everyone what they were doing at all times of day. And ever, nobody cares as so long as they get a decent selfie. Nobody I don't cares. think that that's true. About nobody caring. That's correct. I think most people don't. Most people have kind of uh, have kind of accepted that the reality now is that everything is filmed and that like really because I, I had a private. different impression. I had what was that, that? That when Donald Trump won, uh -huh. there was a lot of anger about Cambridge Analytica and the idea that so the most people on the street don't really care. I don't know. Like I, on on a ground level, people don't really care. That it's his hysteria about it in the news, and there's like people shout on Twitter. But, like, the most people don't really care. Well, let's say it differently, then. At a minimum, most people care about the effects of it, whether or not they can figure out the ideology that... How many people quit Facebook, for example? But it doesn't do anything. Why would I quit Facebook when, my, when other people are posting my picture and tagging me? They're giving the information away. And so, in essence, I should pay the cost and not get the benefit? That doesn't make sense. True. Anyway, so, yes. Yeah, so, back to, your, back to the, the kid. Yeah. Back to the raising back a boy the in the, here in the future. Yeah. Raising a boy here in the future. So, you were like, I'm going to keep him off of all that stuff. Right. How long did he want to be on it? Well, I think he's, he's talked about having a show for a couple of years. Yeah. And, or, you know, a channel. And... You know, I just, he's my intellectual companion. I, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd ha I could hang out with him for a month, treat him as an adult and never get bored. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that he's in a, now in a 13-year-old body, I mean, it, it was a lot weirder when he was three and four <laughs> because then you just, we sort of look at him and say, did you really, did we have that conversation that I just think we had? Yeah. Because he was all, you know, he was absolutely a three and a four-year-old. He wasn't that he was an adult. It's comical when it comes out of such a small body and a little voice. Well, it's weird but when it comes out like one line at a time and people say, children say the dam damnedest things. It's mm -hmm. another thing when you're an hour and a half into a conversation yeah. with somebody and they're like pointing out, I mean, one of the most bizarre stories is that um, Zev was very upset anytime his mother wouldn't speak literally. And so I had to teach him the difference between figurative and literal. And suddenly his life opened up. He says, what other ones are there? And I said, well, there's ex post versus ex ante, and there's proximate versus ultimate. So he got the whole list of them. <laughs> we're driving in the car, and his, his mom and I are having this intellectual discussion. It gets quite heated. And this little three-, four-year-old voice from the back seat says, um, when are you going to realize that dad is speaking ex ante and mom is speaking ex post? And my wife and I looked at each other and said, wait, were you speaking ex? Were you speaking ex ante? And like, he was spot on. It's just people discount what children are capable of without having to be prodigies. <laughs> just take take your kids seriously. Yeah, exactly. And so I've always done. I've always spoken to Hercules as if he, I would like I would speak to anybody else. Yeah. And uh, and he has rewarded me in turn by um, 
being a bad little motherfucker. All right. It's like, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, would you change anything? Now? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did all sorts of things wrong as a parent. Really? Yeah. Damn. Well, I mean, I think uh, you don't know. You know, yeah. it's the first time you're going through it, and by the time you figure out what you should have done, it's over. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I definitely think that um, I didn't understand that the brain has to wait for certain things in order to succeed. So I always was trying to teach him notes on the piano, and he was like the world's worst music student. <laughs> and you'd teach him middle C, and then you'd teach him two other notes, and middle C would be erased. He would have no memory of it. And this went on for years. And then <laughs> he was procrastinating, uh, studying for his bar mitzvah, and he taught himself piano, guitar, and harmonica in the space of six weeks. I was just thinking, like, but, but you're like the least musically talented person on earth. <laughs> so, you know, you just have to wait for certain things to kick you in. You do, you do. I, yeah, I've found this. Um, let's answer some questions, because, you know, it would be, it'd be rude not to, what are the I questions? guess. Uh, have we got any good questions here? Uh, you can, don't have to answer this. It's very long, very quick. What do you think of Hinduism? What do I think of Hinduism? Yeah. I think it's an incredible uh, alternate um, canon to the Abrahamic faiths and that we should learn what the major stories are and how they compare because the components are different. Yeah. Um, and it has a ton of uh, problems like the caste system that come out of it in terms yeah. of a modernity, but that uh, it's an alternate system of, of uh, archetype and filled with um, reference points that more of us need to have. I agree. This is why I was doing, I've been doing the Alan Watts records as well. Um, cause they contain a piece of the puzzle for us now. I feel that isn't necessarily being discussed. And uh, in the same way that um, the likes of Peterson are reintroducing Western fundamentals to a couple of generations who haven't had been given it, right? Uh, it's, I feel it's the same with the Eastern thing being necessary. That was uh, John Lewis, by the way. Thank you, John Lewis. You're, you've got the same name as a department store in the UK, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, Jay Wiley says, "What steps?" Eric, are you taking to ensure that the IDW doesn't ossify or become irrelevant through insularity? Have you been e examining intellectuals from various corners of the podcasting sphere who might not necessarily hold similar opinions to the larger figureheads? It's a very, it's a very good question. Um, I think that the... Yeah! <laughs> uh, I think that we're totally open. I think what we're not open to is certain types of uh, of methodology. I think what what's really interesting about the core IDW is that everybody agrees what constitutes a conversation. Yes. And there's not a lot of diversity about that. And if we started to let in diversity on that point where somebody says, I think shouting down people is perfectly reasonable, <laughs> and I think that we need to be part of the, of the same system, otherwise you're not diverse, the answer is yes, we're getting a huge benefit from locking out counterproductive diversity so that we actually get to explore, explore all the benefits of, of really interesting intellectual diversity. Do we need other viewpoints? Absolutely. I've been noticing certain kinds of divisions, like just brought up one uh, cryptically a little bit on Twitter, which is, it seems like the women in the movement are killer writers, uh -huh. and the men talk. Yes. And the... So it's just ideas, so you, you should be able to move things around, but, you know, sometimes you need to project. Like, you feel comfortable going, yes, and hitting a button, and 
getting applause. Well, that's right. Maybe a smaller <laughs> a smaller percentage of women. You know, women might say, "I, I don't really feel like calling attention to myself." That's weird. That way. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> right, and then we're beating our breasts. Yes, and say, yes! yeah. Right. But that's right. So there's there's certain stylistic things that I think are getting in the way of getting things together. But you know, remember that we're still at the beginning where people have just met each other for the first time. Like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson just met for the first time in Vancouver. I didn't know that they hadn't ever met before. And so on yeah. round one, people are just getting to know each other in the flesh for the first time. This is the fucking dawn. Yeah. This is the absolute dawn yeah. of, of a whole next stage of human shit. Right. And, and then, you know, w- w- the one thing I think we're most desperate for is... Um, the women who are going to stand up to the women who are just trying to destroy conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something where Jordan has talked about it. None of the men want to make this argument. It's just, it would be better optically if it were women saying, hey, some of us are out of line and this is too much and it's too aggressive and you can't say mansplaining about everything. <laughs> now, where are these women? I don't know. Um, you know, we have Christina Hoff Summers, we have Camille Paglia, we have um, other really, you know, incredible women who are taking big risks. Deborah So uh, yeah. just spoke to her she's on Skype. Good. She's amazing. She's doing really good. Right. And, you know, and you have... Uh, but she's Heather. already done one of the things you need to do, which is sort of... St- there's a lot of heresy, right? Right. And it's like going against the sisterhood is like like the way it's been set up. It's like dude, that's like going against your people or whatever. She already kind of did that in um you know in 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 a uh, in the sexual way. Yeah. In the in what she writes about and stuff. So she's kind of already sort of broken that thing. So she's kind of freer. Yeah. Well, we're, we're watching what though you know what gets said about Barry Weiss. Um, you want you want a, you want a, an image of a strong woman. Barry Weiss is an image of a very strong woman, incredibly well-spoken, fearless, and you know I don't always agree with her on everything, nor she with me. But Good. I've watched as people beat up on her uh, online for supposed heresy, and I'm thinking like, well, you're going to be- beat up on a role model like Barry Weiss. That's not a good message to be. All said. of the second wave feminists have been like torn apart over the past couple of years. Well. Yes, it's this nth wave stuff yeah. that we don't get. Nth wave. Nth wave, yeah. Nth wave. That's a really good name for something as well. <laughs> um, Generation uh, Z, right? My my son's channel? Yeah. Yeah. And are they calling it Generation Z? I heard someone else call it Generation Amiga, which was quite cool. Yeah, and I've heard the iGen. Uh, so we haven't decided. This one hasn't been settled upon iGen is something I've heard. but iGen is that's yeah, cheesy. I think, I think Gen Z. Gen Z. Yeah, yeah, Gen Z. and then and then we, we should retire the the letters. Yeah, well, you know, then we've then we've run out. I mean, the thing is, we're going to get to a point though where uh, like this, your son's generation is like infinitely sort of smarter than uh, my generation uh, earlier. Why? Because the like, it's, if you're born with uh, computers and you're born in this world in which all of these previous uh, divisions have been erased, uh, I think yeah. it frees you in a mentally like. We had uh, sort of genres mm-hmm. that divided us. Okay, like what? Like, you know, you're a rocker. Like, yeah. you're a dance guy. Or yeah. You're this or you're that. Whereas they don't have them. Internet 
generation people don't have that stuff they kind of like sample bits of everything and their and their sort of personalities and their uh cultural landscape is 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 a limitless borderless thing they also have the ability is that good? To, yeah i think it is and they also have the the ability to create whatever they want what, from, why is that clearly zero. good i'm not sure that that's clearly good uh it's clearly good because uh being able to sample from anything means that you can take the best bit of anything uh you don't have any fear as to trying aspects of stuff because it's like that thing is not for you so don't go there when it's like well anything is open to me to use and then you have the potential to create anything because you have the tools to create music or film or a vlog or whatever the hell it is back on this a little bit just just for fun see what see where we get to so like i'm a huge fan of this guy zakir hussein you know he's like maybe the world's greatest percussionist ah you know and he does two separate things. He does one thing in the idiom of North Indian classical music where he's just an unstoppable force of nature that everyone recognizes. And I'm just, I, my, my jaw is on the floor when I see him you know, supporting a great sarangi or sarod or sitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he does this other thing which I think you know, is called tabla beat science, which is kind of this fusion with all these great musicians and I don't have the same like super positive feeling about it. It's not like he doesn't get unbelievable people to play together, but sometimes um, some of the di- some of the divided things get really interesting and pure. And sometimes you get yeah. great fusions, like you know, for example, to me, the greatest fusion of all was was probably uh, the fusion of uh, some African tonality with Western uh, even temperament that resulted in blues and jazz. Like, mm-hmm. you want to talk about a cultural, you know, a set of cultural collisions yeah. that really made something durable? That was unbelievable. But if I listened to, like, Yehudi Menuhin and Ravi Shankar trying to do this East-West thing, it was sort of interesting, but it really didn't go anywhere. So I'm not positive that when we break down these divisions that we get more. Sometimes we do. Well, what you have now is that literally every single human has access to... Uh this vast cultural landscape right and they have the potential to create whereas previously they didn't and there's there's arguments for both sides of this it used to be that in order to make a record you had to reach a level of uh not necessarily a level of musicianship basically there were the chances of you doing it were very small there was a small amount of people who were able to go into a recording studio there were a small amount of people who were able to find someone who would record them so there was a few records made. Now, some of those records were uh, incredibly high quality right? because of uh, the musicianship that would be put into and the level of the producer or what have you. Uh, whereas now you'll have like a million records versus one and uh, most of those won't necessarily be at that high quality. You won't necessarily have the person who spent their whole life mastering that one technique uh, in that way. But you'll have all these opportunities for something that never existed before and never well, could have existed. Which I love. but the Which thing is the exciting bit. The thing that I don't like, though, is that if you think about when those records came out that changed everything, mm-hmm. whether it was Van Halen 1 or it was Kind of Blue, you know, you had these particular moments where everyone was focused on like, okay, things, are, things just changed. We just received uh, some present from the transcendent. It's like, yeah. here, we will elevate you, you know, and then... And it could happen in many different contexts. But we were all listening to us, and we would focus. And so the, the discussions around that stuff were extremely deep. 
And what I now hear is that people are all into their, their own micro grooves, but I don't know that it supports this kind of curated interest where the audience helps propel, propel the performer to higher and higher heights because oh, they're tracking it so finely and so, like, so many people mm -hmm. are looking at the same thing. Like, how many people analyzed, you know, Ginger Baker's drum parts on Sunshine of Your Love? You know, it, it had an effect of giving us a vocabulary, something to talk about. That still happens. What happens now, though, is uh, you can have, you can be an artist who can tour the world and have millions of fans and most people won't know who you are. Hmm. Which is an interesting thing. Well, maybe I should hang out with you guys and find out what it's like. Yeah, well... You are. I am. You are. And here you are. There's, you know, for every every gift, there is a, a curse and something taken away. But uh, I think the benefits for this generation, a generation that's born with uh, Minecraft, that okay. can just craft infinite worlds. Well, I love the maker aspect. Yeah. And that combined with the ability to uh, sort of take from, from the galaxy of culture uh, and combine that thing. Uh, I think that's just exactly the sort of generation that's going to solve all the problems that we suddenly have. It's that kind of mindset and I that kind of technical right. ability that is what will get us through all our but incoming issues. I, I guess I'm still not getting past it. Let me take something that, that really affected me a lot. Okay. Percussive guitar was, was something <laughs> which I never imagined was possible. The idea that you just pick up the guitar and you wouldn't treat it at all like anybody treated a guitar before. You just hitting and drumming all uh -huh. over the thing. It gets to such incredible heights. You know, Justin King's Knock on Wood, the first time I heard that, I just thought, this isn't even anything I, I recognize as being a guitar. And when I listen to how many great percussive guitar players there are, I'm astounded that it hasn't had more of an impact. Like, most people I know, they don't feel it. It doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't have any impact. They don't put it on. Yeah. And that's okay. That's, all right. Is that, is that a problem? For you? Do you feel that, yeah, like to some extent? I mean, I, I I'm feeling like right now we are in a cultural drought. We don't even recognize it because there's so much being produced right. that we don't realize that there's almost nothing that we will look back to communally and say, yeah, that spoke to us about that time. Like we we will all go back mm. for different references, and there are very yes. few things that bring us together. Jaron Lanier had this point a little some years ago. I read in a book that he felt that after the birth of the internet, there were no new musical genres right. invented, and everything but became a remix. He said that you and, couldn't uh, you couldn't feel what time it was after yeah. the '90s. Yes, exactly. And uh, I think about that quite a lot. But uh, and that might s seem the case to a person who existed before the '90s. Well, he's in his fifties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but. Uh, to people beyond that, they do see the thing. They're like, 2010 is very specific and different from uh, 2015. And people are now looking back upon the 2010 period, which was that very, that's the first time you had a sort of fully digital uh, generation making all the music and stuff. And they're looking back at that with the same nostalgia as people were doing with things before that. And they're like, that's a very specific time period. It had a very specific sound. And unless you were paying attention, you might not necessarily see it. Mm. But if you were paying attention, you do see it. And it is true. Uh, so I think it's easy for us to... Uh, well, maybe I just have old man syndrome. This is a thing. There's a thing that if you're not paying attention to new music all the time, you lose the connecting tissue between it and it stops making sense to you and it kind of looks a bit like a mess from a distance and you don't understand the intricacies. Well, I, I, wouldn't say, look, I listen to a fair amount of, of uh, new music through my children, let's uh -huh. say. And the, there is a feel to it, but I think that I'm trying to get at something different, which is that um, there's no canon that can be counted upon. 
like for whatever reason, um, people used to memorize the opening part of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, and I'm not sure that there's any good reason for 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 focusing on the you know that Middle English, right? But, but I learned it in Middle English, and it was this weird thing that <laughs> was a common reference point. We um, didn't have that. Yeah, I did read the the, the uh, Canterbury Tales. Yeah, but we weren't forced to memorize any of it. All right, but you know, I mean, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, or you know, reading through Macbeth, or or yeah. any one of these things mm-hmm. which you did in common, yeah, became a substrate socially for that group, and you could make references to it that they didn't have to be direct. You know, that's meme culture. Yeah, now at this point, I mean, it happens with music as well, but that's very much a description of meme culture, and meme culture is like a common language. Uh, amongst internet denizens and right, people. And the question is, how deep is it? I, I think a lot of meme culture is very well adapted for our time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when, when, when Shakespeare said, you know, that does protest too much, me thinks, or, or whatever mm-hmm. the exact quote is, that was actually kind of a new idea that hadn't been there that then became referenceable for, for you know, centuries. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that um, if I take the concept of, you know, D's nuts... I don't know that it's it's a meme, right? It it, it doesn't strike me. How long will these memes last? Well, the meme culture is is very fast. Everything within the internet is very fast. Ugandan Knuckles feels like 5,000 years ago at this point. Do you even remember Ugandan Knuckles? I'm not sure I ever knew about Ugandan Knuckles. That was was a wonderful thing. Um, Let's take some questions before we look this up because uh, we have to... Uh, myself and Eric have to go and have a, an Illuminati ritual. Um, I'm afraid. So there. Uh, what's cracking in the chat, everybody? Doobie, 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 doobie. We should have questions about flow states. Ask us nuts. About D's nuts, yeah. D's nuts is now a thing. Gabriel Lantis, LMAO. Jay Wiley says D's nuts. Armand Van Tonda says D's nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck it, yeah. Let's, uh, I really like this Eric Weinstein guy, says Kira Bork. I like him too. He's beautiful. He's sat there, he, he, he's beautiful, he has a glorious presence, uh, he has a nice suit. Yes. Uh, Armand Van Tonda says, Eric, just to let you know, Akira is a bad motherfucker that changed my life, and the microsystems you are talking about made that possible. Get this man to the mainstream. Yeah. Well, we're thanks. We're trying, we're trying. He's just trying. Anyway. Well, Illuminati in the house, says Rebel Wisdom. <laughs> a weird thing I've noticed about meme culture is that it seems to intentionally be inducing the feeling of, if I knew the reference, this would be funny, when the reference doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. You see? No no commonality. All right. Let's talk about uh, flow state for a little bit. We're supposed to, This is supposed to be an hour. We can go longer because... Uh, Eric fucking Weinstein's in the house, ladies and gentlemen. This is a beautiful thing. How about that? What a time to be alive. Yeah, flow state. We were talking about this. I think we need to feel more comfortable in flow. And I think that... As a people or just individually? More of us need... Because sometimes when you're in flow state, stuff comes out that you're really not sure what corner of your brain came up up with that. Yep. And uh, how do we create spaces that are specifically safe for unsafe behavior? Mm. Right, so the concept of a safe space is, is quite a bit more interesting, and I'm I'm not intrinsically against safe spaces, but you know I think I was just thinking uh, stay, I was staying in a hotel that Jim Morrison had stayed in years ago, and I thought about what he did I guess at the whiskey uh-huh. with uh, the Oedipal myth uh, encased in this 
um, Indian tonality around the end, right? On the right. first Doors album. And he was saying such dangerous stuff in recapitulating the Oedipus myth. Um, and mm. maybe it didn't, it didn't feel safe. And it, you know, it, it, it didn't end up on the record the way it was performed in the, in, in the venue. How is it different? Well, I think, you know, he says, Father, I want to kill you. And instead of saying, Mother, I want to rape you, he goes into some kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, he, um, because, it, you know, so it was sort I of... I thought he said, fuck you. No, well... Didn't he say fuck you? I think you? it was rape you. Okay. I'm not sure. But... Um, no, I meant on the record. No, I think it's, un- it's, I it's unintelligible. That's interesting that my brain just inserted that. I think that's just how I thought of it. But, yeah. I, you, you know, I, I wonder... Um, in the era of phones, I've heard that my, my comedian friends say that the phone changed comedy because yeah. instead of a space which was like, hey, this is, be- this is between us, we all paid to get in, it's after hours, the booze is flowing, let's be in flow. Let's, let's, let's really yeah, explore Yeah, now they got rid of that. Now it's now someone upload a clip of it and then everyone will jump out well, on it out of Sunday context. Sunday morning at breakfast and, you know, the comedian's got his grandmother at the table and so, wait, what did you say? It's the same with music. I mean, Kanye had this problem. He'd be doing these shows and he'd be rip- going into big riffing kind of like on-the-spot monologues and people would upload them and then he'd have to spend the week defending what he was saying in the moment. Well, this is the thing. I, I had this very interesting two days where I, was, I got a chance to hang out with him and what he was doing was very often autocatalytic. That is, there'd be some conversation, be intellectual, and then he'd he'd catch some riff in it, right. and he'd start exploring it as the basis for like a, you know a rap, yeah. and, and start jamming with it. And sometimes it would work, and sometimes it, it didn't. And sometimes he'd come back to fix so, something. So you'd be talking, and he'd suddenly be like, "Oh shit, that bit's cool," and then start free, making a little rap. Right, like you know, I, I think I'll get the sandwich and maybe uh, uh, the the wedge salad. Yeah, because there's a wedge. The wedge is coming between us. We have to get together. You know, like, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And just from the wedge of the salad, suddenly, uh, you know, you got the feeling that he was going to drop some major tracks. <laughs> Uh, I kind of want you to talk more about Kanye and, and we, what we were also talking about. Why were you hanging around with Kanye? Oh, um... Did he call you out to Hawaii? No. He does that. Oh. I think he invited me to he, Wyoming and I couldn't go because I, yeah. I, had, I had kid stuff. But, um... Well, I think Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens. Yeah. Uh, I think Candace was tracking me and I, I wasn't really aware of that. And then when she got her chance to meet with Kanye, she immediately pulled me in. And I think that it's very interesting because, you know, Candace and I hadn't had a ton of of interaction either. And Charlie was trying to reach out to me. Now they have a, you know, they have a very thoughtful side and then they have their playing to their bass side. And Mm -hmm. I don't really want to touch the them playing to their bass side stuff because I don't want to get involved with that. Yes. But I can say that both of them um, have another side that I don't think every, anybody necessarily sees that much of in the out, in the outside, where they're trying to say, how do we take people who don't agree? You know, I mean, I, I would be probably on the progressive side, at least if progressive meant anything the way it used to, and they are on the conservative side. But um, they wanted me in the conversation from the beginning, and so you have to ask, what would conservatives like them? be doing extending such a precious invitation or spot and then Kanye asked me you know to continue the next day mm-hmm. because I think we're all trying to just figure this stuff out yeah. and the extent to which 
you know, some megastar and some math guy, you know, have a basis for talking, which doesn't really have to do with fame or fortune or anything. It's just like we're in a really desperate spot. I thought, you know, okay, Kanye may be the guy to de-Trumpify MAGA. You know, that we've got this MAGA complex, make yeah, America well, great again. Yeah, that's what he was again. trying to do. I don't know well, I'm not how positive effective it was. If, yeah, it may, it may have backfired. It may no, be I don't effective. think it, I don't no, think no, it backfired. I understand. It, it may be, I don't know how effective it is. It may mm. have backfired some. It may have advanced some. He may be pro-Trump. He may actually be pro-Bernie. It's very tough to say what's going on. But what I was hoping for is that we were going to take um, the mimetic complexes, the mm. memes that have gone through our society, and we're going to have to bring them together. And I think Donald Trump is simply too polarizing for most people. Mm -hmm. But if I think about the part of Trump that was just a rejection of Bush-Clinton-Obamaism, lots of people can share in that without going the whole grab-em-by-the-pussies route, you know? And, no, it's important, right? <laughs> that, that if we don't figure out how to, how to separate these things in components and see something decent and just in each other. Like when, I'm pe when people know I voted for Bernie, they say, wow, why are you so enthusiastic about you know, taxing people who are successful mm -hmm. and destroying the economy? Well, that's not why I voted for Bernie. I voted for Bernie because there weren't that many options. There were three, Hillary, Bernie, and Trump. Each of them had something essential and each of them had something which disqualified them. And I, I picked the one that would be the least destructive. You know, and it doesn't mean that I was a huge Bernie supporter on economics. Mm -hmm. um, there's way too much inference going on. And if we don't learn to say, okay, well, you did something that seems kind of crazy to me from one perspective, but maybe you were just trying to get at this little bit over here and you had to, you had to buy that other part there because it came with the package. To offering each other charity in, in our interpretations. Like, this goes back to the empathy thing. Well, that's the thing is, is that I tend not to do podcasts over a wire. I, I haven't really done one on Skype or over the phone oh, yeah. because I want to be able to look, like if, if we start to go off a little bit, like a couple times maybe we've stepped on each other because it's two people talking <laughs> and I want to make sure that like, okay, you know, is there warmth in the face? Is, mm -hmm. is there eye contact? Is the feeling good? And yeah. I don't think people understand how important that is um, on Twitter, like, but that's how someone can jump in your mention saying some really fucked up shit because they're not saying it to you. Right. They're not looking you in the face and saying they don't know who you are. It's not. It's it's hardly even the idea of you that they're saying it to. I think that that's right, and I think I think that one of the thing our technology has not done. I mean, the reason that people are using emojis and all uh, all of these uh, sort of substitutes for facial muscles yeah. and cues. Is, is that we need to communicate, well, that was humor, that was sarcasm, that was tightly held, that was loosely held. Yeah. And that's the human condition that hasn't translated well into texting. There was a funny area of, uh, of that whole thing. It was like 10 years or something where people were just refusing to use emojis. No, yeah. no, no, that's for kids. I can't be using emojis. But then you'd be writing a thing and then everyone misconstrue it. And it, I think it was about three or four years ago, suddenly a whole like class of people just went, just fuck it, all right, I'm going to use emojis. Because I'm just getting misconstrued so often, so the the laughing side sideways smiley face emoji is suddenly going to have to be the end of everything. I'm not saying that's not quite fully serious or whatever, because it's fucking necessary. It is, especially once the character limit is 140 or 280 or whatever. You you don't have the space to uh, fully well, this communicate. This is the funniest thing on Twitter is that you make some point and you cram it into 280 characters, yeah. and there's no room at all. And then like you'll see it. A hundred tweets saying, "I don't understand why you didn't bring up this, that, or the other point." You're thinking, "How dare you?" Yeah, stay positive. Naval's really good at this. Uh, he's very good at kind of being 
concise tweeting. It's sort of like getting a thing into a form where it works in a small amount of words. In his idiom, but like I don't, I think there are idioms that he would not be able to yeah. do that in. Well, yeah, there are. That's like most of the world. Well, but there are topics. I mean, you know, a lot of what Naval does is to help people get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. Like, here's a perspective you could take on your life that would would greatly empower you. I think Tim Ferriss would be in that idiom. Yeah. And I think that that works very well with that hyper uh, concise, terse, very well chosen yeah. language. Yeah, and bit. speaking in absolutes. and Yeah. You can do that in that world. Yeah, but, but there are other uh, words where... where, where you know, you've got a whole bunch of people who think they're at each other's throats and you're just yeah. trying to diffuse it so it doesn't become a, like drinks for everybody. Let's, <laughs> let's take this thing down. So uh, to go back to the point that we started and didn't finish because sure. we got derailed talking about Kanye and stuff. But yeah, and you were saying we need more, more people need to be in flow. What can we do? Because I'm always very, I'm always very more interested in solutions. Yeah. And uh, I think that would be a good way to wrap this up would be to give people something practical. So you, yeah. Eric fucking Weinstein, how do you feel that people can be in flow more often and thus have a more magical, rewarding, and useful existence? Well, you, you, need, you need some place to be in flow. Mm-hmm. And the shower, if you can lock other people out, you know, is a famous place for flow states. So okay. one of the things I do is I, I borrow something from Tourette's called cop- coprolalia, where I say a bunch of expletives in a particular order, which tells my body that it's safe because these are words that are all tagged. Don't say that word. Don't say that. So take the words that you can't say. Okay. And string Nick them boop. together. <laughs> the N word, so yeah. to speak. Um, uh, you know, or then take something and just make it repetitive. Uh-huh. I mean, if you think about it, like, you remember Drift Away by Dobie Gray? No. Oh, give me the beat, boys. Oh, yeah. Free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Now, if you do that over and over again, you will achieve something like a reverential flow state. It's, it's okay. meant for that. Or, you know, listen to uh, Ain't No Sunshine uh, when he just gets into, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. There's a great edit of that where it just kind of loops that I know, I know bit for about a minute and it sort of builds. Right. The reflex. Well, I would look, at, look that up. You know, there was a, a, a researcher many years ago who, who took the, the phrase out of her own speech, uh, sometimes behaves so strangely. She, she uttered these words, uh-huh. and then she mapped the, the note sequence, and she looped it. Sometimes behave so strangely. You can look that up. Yeah. So almost anything like that, when done rhythmically and repetitively, will induce a transcendent state. And when you start feeling that you can handle the theme and variations on it, you'll find that even if you don't sound good and you miss the notes, something else takes over. And that thing that takes over is, is your sort of flow control. Okay. And I think experiment with it and then try it on somebody you trust. Try it on somebody you care. Assuming you can't sing... Uh, learn which words have lots of rhyming words and start a rhyming stream and seeing what occurs to you. Uh, and that way you won't box yourself in by saying, you know, I saw this girl and her shirt was orange. You know, like, <laughs> my finger then got stuck in a door hinge. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> that's, get, that's like a very yeah. tough spot to be it in. Is. Had to go out and buy a lozenge, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know. I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> I just stood on a syringe. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the applause button for Akira, <laughs> the Don. Akira. Yes. 
Yes. So uh, I think that's you know a great way to start. And, and get don't in worry. the shower, swear, swear like swear a lot repeatedly, and then start singing loopy rhymey things. That's right. And uh-huh. even you can take something that isn't a loopy rhymey thing, and, and you'll immediately unlock the fact that it has musical and flow potential, uh-huh. and then start learning how to. I mean, look, the most important piece of advice of what I'd love to end on is that most of us have never heard our own voices. We are so scared to say what it is that is inside of us that we have no space in our lives that's safe enough to say the crazy things that occur to us. And this is what I learned really from Kanye, is is that he's so in touch with his pain, he's so in touch with the thoughts that are going underneath that he's turned that thing into an empire and he's found out that people love listening to the crazy mind underneath that surface thing that's keeping it together because you know he's the softest spoken kindest easiest guy to hang out with in the world and then he's so strong and tough that he's listening to things that scare us and i think that's why people jump down his throat mm-hmm. is is that some of that stuff is just it's not coming clearly right through the prefrontal cortex it's coming from some place deep in the brainstem and the key question is do you have a place that's safe in your enough safe enough in your life to listen for your own voice and then once you let it out you may find surprisingly that no matter what thing like you can you can be a mom who just finds that on Thursday she's hating her kids and you you, you give that voice and you do it in some way it's it's unexpectedly decent and graceful and then you find out that you really love your children, but that you need to be able to say that they're driving you crazy. Well, it's so dangerous. It's so explosive. It's so against society that we reward people when, it, when we hear something coming from a place that everybody's thought, but nobody was brave enough to say. And the thing is, that once you let your flow state out, if it really represents you, you can't back down. You just yeah. can't. If it doesn't represent you, you can say, look, that just came out. It slipped. It's, it's cool. But if it does represent you... You have to you have to ride it and you have to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for having me, buddy. On that bombshell. Yeah, that's real. I, I think that's a beautiful thing. It's true. Uh shouts out to everyone who's been logged in. I appreciate you, bad motherfuckers. Uh thank you for being here. Go forth, everybody, I want you all to go and have a shower and swear and uh loop some shit and get some flow going on. And then get back and let me know how that goes. And uh tell Eric how it goes. You can find Eric on Twitter. Eric is that R. Weinstein? Eric R. Weinstein. It is Eric R. Weinstein. Sitting here with Akira. The Dawn. The Dawn. The Dawn. Yeah! Thank you for being here, you bad motherfucker. Hey, thanks for having me. Yo, peace out, everybody. I'll be back next Thursday, same time, same bat channel. Uh, join the Discord. The address is in the description of the video. Uh, JBP Wave Genesis is out now. We've got big project coming next week, a big project coming the week after. Uh, it's a beautiful day to be alive, and it's a beautiful time to be alive. Proud of you. I'm proud of you. I hope that you are proud of you too, gang.